Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. You ready? No, but I'm here and I love you guys. <laughs> we're, we're recording on a Sunday. Uh, because this week of reintegrating for me has been a definitely, definitely rough. So thanks to you for your flexibility. And uh, here we are. Do you want to say any more? Um, well, that? you know, that wonderful place that I decided to move into, um, that saying that if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, my landlord turned out to be a total nut job. <laughs> Like crazy, crazy, crazy. So, um, I'm, I sorry, to... I'm sorry about that. That happens. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it, ha it happens a lot. It recently happened to uh, someone I know really, really well. The same sort of thing. Yeah, thought they had a good thing with a with a roommate who turned into, uh, you know, unpredictable <laughs> nut job. Right. Yeah. Right. So I um I have to move again, which is disappointing. Um, because I really organized my life to be able to be back on call and be ready. And so you know, it's as pe pe people who are birth workers know that like being organized and grounded in our work is like one of the most important things. So that's that's my most challenge right now is just to try and um be on call while moving, but it'll all work out. Life works out. It's all fine. Um, but it's been, I've only been back since Monday night. And, uh, so it's been a little, woo. <laughs> How about well, you? Well, um, yeah, we were supposed to record last Wednesday, which would have been my father's 103rd birthday. So, Aww. uh, I just want to refer people to podcast number 100. If they ever want to go back and listen, I interviewed my dad on his 96th birthday. And he died about seven months later. So it's kind of a great thing to have in the, in the, you know, in the files. Guys, yeah. Have that conversation with your father recorded. Yeah. Um, no, nothing's much going on for me. I mean, obviously we've done some uh, traveling since we were together last time. Mm -hmm. uh, you went to Mexico. I did go to Mexico. It sounded lovely, but uh, we really haven't talked about it. Do you want to share a little bit because you were with some really lovely people down in Mexico for a retreat. Yeah. Um, did it have something to do with birth or was it just birth workers getting away? Well, I had two different retreats. So one of them with, was with Lindsay Milas and she and I are planning to record a, um, a special podcast, um, which you guys will see in our feed very soon. And we'll talk more about, um, her vision and and um, how that went, but it was beautiful. It was in um, it was in the jungle in um, near Saulita, Mexico, and um, right around the time when Hurricane Hillary was coming through, and so um, we had some spectacular rains and um, and uh, watching watching lightning storms over the ocean from the edgeless pool, uh, skinny dipping. So. That was pretty fun. <laughs> um, but the there is something really nice about swimming naked, though. Um, yeah, it really is. It really is nice, whether it's in the ocean or whether it's in a pool. 
or whether it's in your bathtub. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, there is something nice about wearing no clothes. And yeah, yeah one of the advantages I have of living here where I live is that my pool is pretty secluded in the backyard. So I'm not trying to uh, brag or anything like that, but currently I have no tan lines. Isn't that I was going to say, this dude has no tan lines. <laughs> um, <laughs> so her, the retreat was called The Remembering, and it really is about birth workers, not just midwives, about getting back to remembering the truth about who we are as women, as, as birth workers, you know. So it was very, it was really well done. And uh, Lindsay does amazing work. And one of the main reasons that I wanted to go and spend time with her was to um, drop deeper in because she and I are one of the main people um, putting together the Bridge Midwives Project, which I know people are really excited for us to get the show on the road. So um, this was one of those, the ways that I could do that. And there was a bunch of amazing women um, there. I would like to have, I haven't mentioned this to you yet, but um Tara was there from Australia. She's the woman who does the Christian hypnobirthing um, app. And she is also a stand-up comedian. She, so you're going to love her because she's got this awesome accent. She's incredibly funny and very deep. And um, lots of people are really enjoying the work that she's doing. So we got to spend time with her, um, which was a great time. And then I had about three days by myself. And I went to this beautiful little place called Yalapa, which is outside of Puerto Vallarta. It's a tiny little town. And just had a little time to myself in this beautiful Airbnb that I got. Um, I was there about 10 years ago when I was in the height of building the sanctuary with one of my uh, idols, I guess. She, um, her name is Suzanne Arms, and she wrote a book called Immaculate Deception in the, in the 70s, which was the book that I checked out as a 19-year-old single pregnant woman out of the library that inspired me to learn more about the history of midwives and all of that really um, added passion to to what I am doing in life. So I spent time with her at a retreat there about 10 years ago with some other magical birth workers, and I wanted to return. So that was really special for me to go back. And then um, I flew into Tijuana, and I was picked up um, there by one of the midwives um, who is doing some really amazing work right on the border with refugees. Um, and then the workshop that I did there was run by Tema Mercado, who's a midwife from San Diego. Um, she's she's Mexican. And so 90% of the women who were in this retreat were Mexican. There were a couple um, other women there. I was the only white woman in the room. And um, as we did the closing, I shared, you know, and I said in the beginning, and I'm going to say it again, I might not have the right words. I know words are so important in these times, but from my heart, what I wanted to express was the honor and privilege that I had sitting with these women as they were on their native soil, eating their native foods, singing their songs, talking about their postpartum traditions from their culture to be a woman invited into that space and gifted with this knowledge was one of the most humbling and beautiful experiences I've ever had. Um, so it was very deep work. 
I'm really excited about bringing some of that back into my practice. Um, she calls it the postpartum ceiling retreat. And um, anyone who's interested in learning more about that, um, she's a beautiful midwife to connect with. Uh, she had a couple of get her midwife friends would come in the evenings and talk about different things that were important to them. And um, yeah, it was just very different from the retreat that I did with Lindsay. Um, but both of them so beautiful and deep in, in completely different ways. And um, I, I feel like the time that I spent traveling, everything that I did was so beautiful. Our time that we had together in Kentucky and Tennessee, um, you know, just really, really had a beautiful summer traveling. And, you know, when you travel for a really long time, you're ready to go home. Like at the end, I was like, so ready to come home. <laughs> Um, so, and then no, yeah, I don't yeah. have a home. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so, the adventure for bliss continues. Hopefully, um, the universe will bless me with a really beautiful space that I can really ground in Santa Barbara, which is what I'm hoping for. So, well, just listening yeah. to you and seeing your face, um, there's so many beautiful lessons to be learned there about life in general, but especially uh, birth keepers and, and, you know, how we care for pregnant women um, and that, you know, um, inclusivity really means inclusivity in your, in your case, as opposed to inclusive often means excluding people who are different than you. And it was really nice to see you accepted. I remember a story, I won't get into the details, a few years ago where you were not welcomed into a group of people where you were the only person who was different. And um, I'll just leave it at that. If you want to elaborate on that some other time, you can. I know you don't, but I just no, remember but I remember I, that story vividly that you were yeah. you were not accepted, yeah, simply because you were different. Yeah. But I want to say, you know, I think that part of the humility of being in that space and being the minority was that, you know, like, for example, one of the women who came in the evening, she was sharing all of her beautiful knowledge about cacao. She knows, you know, cacao is a, is a seed that they use for some of their ceremonies. It's a very sacred plant for them. And it was a beautiful lecture. She spoke in English for, for people like me. There were a few of us who only spoke English. And so I was glad that I was included but at the same time I could see that it was a it was if she had been able to speak in her own language to to people who understood her language it would have been so much more fluid and poetic and you know so it's an honor to be included but at the same time I totally understand why sometimes you want your space to just be your space you know so it's a complex issue and being the, a person in the room and actually feeling it somatically in my body and being with the, with these beautiful group of women. Um, I understand both sides, which I think is one of my gifts is to be able to understand both sides of the coin. And yes, I'm very honored that I was welcomed into this space. And I think that they felt like I treated that position that I was in with reverence. And, um, and so I'm glad that I was able to do that. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, uh, world that we live in when when people are so often so dogmatic in their views or whatever that they can't accept people 
with different views or different backgrounds into their world. We'll be talking a little bit later today about some of the things about what modern medicine is doing. And um, we're going to see that they're not very accepting of alternative um, thoughts and ideologies and, and uh, alternatives. They're just not open to that. Um, before I get to a couple of letters from readers, I wanted to just share a similar experience that I had where you were the only white person in the room at that conference. And I was the only male. Yeah, exactly. At the Carolina Birth Junkies uh, retreat mm -hmm. in Rock Hill, South Carolina last week, uh, I was welcomed with open arms. But I also was invited a couple of the evenings they had, uh, like their game playing evening, where they tend to get wild. And they and, I, and Brooke, who was the host or my host anyway, uh, wanted to know if I would come. And I just thought about it and I said, you know, I'm just going to stay in my cabin. Because it was a space that that I think that if I had been there, they may have behaved differently. Yeah. And you know what? Well, women can get wild when there's just women around. But if there's children or if there's a man around, right. um, people behave differently. So yeah. I respected their space. And I was grateful for them letting me in the space. And not only to just teach, but also to learn and to go kayaking and to play uh uh, cornhole and uh, go. they had a swimming barbecue one night and I stayed for a little while and then I got a phone call from a client and then I left and that you know because that's their space and this, this is what they do and so I was able to honor that but also be honored at the same time and I met some amazing people that that I'd only heard about one of them you of course have heard about too her name is uh, Sister Morningstar and I just want to give a shout out I mean there's so I can't I can't not probably exclude somebody by by not by omission but i don't mean to do that but uh sister morningstar if people don't know her is a um what would you call him as a, a she's like a patriarch a matriarch excuse me not a patriarch a matriarch <laughs> now and and sort of just a, a, a she would she be considered a granny midwife at this point what would she be considered well, she's, I mean, I've read, I've, I've read a letter that she wrote to NARM when she um, gave back her license and decided not to like be a licensed midwife anymore, but she's, um, she is uh, what we would call a crone, right? So she's one of the wise women. She's an older woman in, um, so there's a maiden, right? Maiden, um, the mother, and then the crone. So, but very wise um, midwife. And she also has traditional roots, right? She does. Um, she writes to. She writes about herself. She says, "I'm a keeper of story. I'm I'm a woodland mystic, a storyteller, and a preserver of the sacred feminine." And she's a great storyteller. And as we've talked about on the podcast many times, I will remember the stories that she told far more than the wisdom that she tried to give with a you know with a slide or a lecture or something like that. So storytelling is the way that we pass things down, and that still works really well today. She says she was 12 years old when I started my first women's study group. By the way, she spells women W-I-M-Y-N. Is there a is there a meaning to that? Because I I don't know that. But well, I think some I think <laughs> I think some people spell it with an O, but the M-Y-N instead of M-E-N is just showing that we're not uh, no. centered around the masculine, that we have our own identity separate from. 
Okay, mm -hmm. good. It's, it seemed to me that women needed to get together to talk about what was going on in their lives and what was going on in their hearts. It seemed to me, even as a young budding female, that women's issues were important and we often died spiritually long before our bodies died. Mm. I began to notice how closely the body and mind and soul were interconnected and that healing and peace and happiness came first to the spirit and left there first as well. That the body followed where the spirit led. I noticed also that women in isolation were trapped, scared, sad, depressed, and hopeless, not so much in their outer circumstances, but from within. All that seemed to change when they could be with other women and began to openly talk. <clears throat> so that's just from her um, page. And I, and I just, you know, I don't know that people will go there and just read about her. Uh, but if you ever have an op opportunity as a birth worker to go to something where she's speaking, I highly recommend it. Um, she did a village prenatal where we like we had four pregnant women that were in that were attending and we we, uh, we did an honorary prenatal and I was honored to be included in that. There are some photos that, that circulated on Instagram. And then she had a couple of wisdoms, which I thought were funny. She said, you know how um, when you're sort of in, in a discussion with someone who you can't seem to get through to. Mm. So it finally one of the things that you and I've always said is. You could say to them, well, you might be right. And moving on. She's got another one. She says, well, there's that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then that's basically I put it as a response to a long rambling story. Um, <laughs> you know, when you don't have anything to say, somebody tells you, like, we get we get letters sometimes. People tell us six pages of their birth stories. And it's like, how do I respond to that? I go, well, there's that. <laughs> it's like it's pretty, pretty good. And then may it be so. And we are here for you. These are the two things that she says when people are telling their stories. Yeah. Wish for them that may it be so. So it was, it was great. And, and, you know, and I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, Adrian Leeds was there. She's a CPM. And she spoke on, oh, no, I forgot what she spoke on. <laughs> <laughs> I have it here someplace. But um, nevertheless, she spoke wisely. And then so did Ida Dara. I don't know if you know who Ida is. She's also nope. a certified professional midwife, very wise. And she gave a couple lectures, one of which I thought was great, was on um, ethics in midwifery. Mm. So if we, can have, if we can have all these people on. We could have all these people on. I'm sure that they would come on Our if we asked them to come on. So we've got a guest list that's growing beyond, because we got to have Chavira on to talk about statistics too, um, yeah. from previous things. But anyway, it was a really wonderful a uh, couple of days there and I got to talk about breach and then I did simulators and then one of the speakers couldn't show up because her house got hit by a tornado I don't know why I'm laughing <laughs> so everyone was fine but her, she lost her house so she didn't come so I gave I filled in with a twin lecture so that was fun for me too she lost her house apparently oh it's so. somewhere in Oklahoma wow. doesn't, always, doesn't that always happen in Oklahoma yeah, maybe they're expecting it, but still hard, very hard. Oh, I know. I mean, I have seen the power of weather. Um, not so much because I watch the news, but because now I live in southern Utah. Mm -hmm. And we're in the monsoon season here. And the, the skies are just amazing. And the storms that come in and the wind comes up and then the thunder and the lightning. And then, you know, an hour later, it's sunny and 10, 15 degrees cooler and and it's great. It's just great. Um, so, yeah, 
Um, but that happens. Disasters, weather disasters obviously happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Some of them may not be natural, but we won't go there either. We will not go there. <laughs> well, we should actually, but we won't. So we have a new sponsor, Bliss. Dr. Lindsay has been our friend for a really long time. She's been a birth colleague. And her company, BirthFit, is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs for preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum. Isn't that awesome? Like any phase of the journey, you can use their programs. They even have a B community where you can go to if you're trying to conceive or if you know you want to in the next one to three years, which is awesome. They have a lying in program, which is in the first you know beginning of postpartum. Like what they say is even a day after you can start to get into this. It's 30 days, one video a day, less than 10 minutes that focus on reconnecting and honoring your body in the immediate postpartum period. They use breathing exercises, visualization, belly massages. So cool. And then they have an extended program called Postpartum Program. It's a 12-week program focused on building a base level of general physical fitness with simple lifts, tempo work, and of course, breath work. And all of the work that they do um, requires no or minimal equipment. Um, so you can do it right out of your home. Um, and then of course they have the prenatal program. They have a, a basic 30 day program where no equipment is necessary. I guess you can kind of test out and see if you like their their vibe. And then they have a more extensive pro program, the prenatal training program, which is a full-term strength and conditioning program. Um, I mean, wow. Yeah, I, I've, no, I've known Lindsay for a really long time. She's a, she was a chiropractor in LA before, before they fled and moved to Texas. <laughs> uh, anyway, we, we support them wholeheartedly because this kind of a program is great for our, our clients and most of our listeners. Yeah. Um, so you go to birthfit.com, that's B-I-R-T-H-F-I-T.com. Use the code INSTINCTS1, all caps, INSTINCTS1, with the number, not the not one, but the number, to get a discount on the basics prenatal program, or use code INSTINCTS2 to get a discount on the basic postpartum program. All right? So we love BirthFit. Uh, it's OB and midwife approved. That's right. And right. please support them. And congratulations on your pregnancy, Lindsay. Thanks for joining the team. Welcome to the Birthing Instincts neighborhood. So I have a couple letters that I like to read uh, because they're good. They're sort of follow-ups from uh, previous things that we've talked about. So I always like to do that. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge the fact that I'm really grateful to the people that listen to us and that support us. And we call them fellow travelers because a year and a half ago, I had about 8,000 people that, so my Instagram calls them followers, but we call them fellow travelers. And yesterday I passed 50,000. Yeah. Oh, I know that. And, and again, I didn't buy any. <laughs> I've been <laughs> offered to buy them. You know, well, we can get you 100,000 followers. It's like, I'm not doing that stuff. Uh, so I know it's organic. I know that these people are all listening to us and we're, and we're making, and we are making a difference. And we were making a difference um, subtly and overtly. And I, I know that from the feedback that we received. Mm -hmm. even if it's, you know, one life at a time. So I have a letter here um, uh, about an ectopic pregnancy. This is from um, Deandra, because we did that uh, ectopic podcast. Yes, we did. 
And she gave, she says, hi guys. I just had a comment about your podcast on ectopic pregnancy. I suffered from an ectopic pregnancy after having two healthy pregnancies. So she had no risk factors as far as we know, which is something that happens. I did a shot of methotrexate and my HCG levels started to decline. They climbed a bit after a couple of weeks and the doctor decided to remove the ectopic with surgery. After I ended up in the ER with extreme pain on my left side. I was adamant about saving my tube as my husband and I wanted a large family, and my doctor was able to suck the ectopic out of my tube. A few months after surgery, I went to have the hysterosalpingogram. She says I Wait. went to have the dye test, but she uh, didn't know the name of it, but that's a hysterosalpingogram. Uh-huh. Both of my tubes were clear, and I've since gone on to have multiple healthy pregnancies. That happened in 2017, and I fell pregnant with my son in 2018. I'm currently pregnant with number six. So wow. she just wanted to say a good story about how sometimes, you know, surgery can lead to scarring and lead to more problems. And that's why some people think that if you have one good tube, you should take out the other tube. Uh, she decided she wanted her tube saved, which puts her at slightly greater risk of a current ectopic. But she ended up with at least three, four more pregnancies. So that's great. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Okay. You're welcome. It's not me, but it's Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. No, DeAndrea. <laughs> right yeah deandrea so uh i have a letter from sarah that's coming up um this letter is from uh lindsay in hawaii and it's really brief and she had a h back after two c-sections at home and i want to give a shout out because she said just wanted to thank you so much for recommending jamie lewis jamie lewis is a midwife on oahu my baby ended up, I, re I recommended her because her baby was breech and she was a previous section times two. She says, my baby ended up turning head down and we had a beautiful H back after two C-sections several weeks ago with her support. Your podcast was a driving force for my inspiration and courage to have my redemptive birth at home. Thank you both for the work you do. Yay. Congrats. Okay. Then I have, uh, let's see. A letter from Madison, and she says, um, Hi, Dr. Stu and Bliss. Good middle of the night. I'm writing this at one in the morning because I'm still riding the birth high from tonight. I, quote, caught, unquote, my first breech baby tonight. For context, I worked as a labor and delivery nurse for a few years before having my daughter at home in 2020 because of COVID. I started my journey to get my CPM right after I delivered. I've been a licensed CPM in, uh, in, in Arizona for the last two years. I found your podcast during my training and I attended a Breach Without Borders seminar last August. They do a great job, by the way. Um, this patient's baby was breached ever since her anatomy scan at 20 weeks. And we talked about all of her options as a first time mom. I felt very confident in her ability to birth her Frank Breach baby as she was or as was she, excuse me. She also listens to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's Ultimately, she chose to stick with a home birth and plan for a physiologic breech birth. I had another midwife attend the birth with me as she had attended a few breaches and also trained with Breach Without Borders. And as I say in my class, when you're just starting out, it's always wise to try to have somebody there that's a little bit more skilled. So that was a really smart move. Anyways, just wanted to share how exciting it was to see such a perfect physiologic breech birth, especially on a first-time mom 
who, if left to the hospital system, would have most likely ended up with a primary cesarean. Thank you for all you do in encouraging women to listen to their bodies and babies and for encouraging teaching midwives like me to support women. Yes, even primips in physiologic breech birth. And that's from Madison in uh, Arizona. Thanks, Madison. Thank you, Madison. And I think I have one more. And that is, um, this is Sarah. You know, there are a lot of Sarahs, by the way. Yeah. There were a lot of Sarahs in Louisville. And there were quite, there's, I think there were even some Sarahs in Carolina. Really popular name in, in, birth, in the birthing world. <laughs> okay, so she says, thank you for teaching me that being pregnant with twins does not equal high risk. From my understanding, being pregnant with twins only increases the chance that you may develop a problem or adverse condition as compared to a singleton pregnancy. And as long as nothing has developed, then the twin pregnancy is not high risk. La! Yes, exactly. Yeah, this is, sort of, this is sort of a summary of what we were talking about when we summarized the Louisville conference. We, we talked about these sorts of things. And she says, this was so comforting to me. After finding out I was expecting twins at 17 weeks and then learning that my midwife could no longer legally be my care provider, mm. I was a little lost and feeling overwhelmed. Again, another stupidity in the world of um, maternity care um, in, in limiting choices. One of Rick's yeah. things that she said in the paper was who, she said she wants to start contraindic contraindicating contraindications, which I love that. Mm -hmm. um, my midwife connected me with a semi-retired midwife in Las Vegas who would drive to Utah to attend my birth. Armed with the confidence that this was not really any different than a singleton pregnancy, I carried on and stayed far away from the medical model and their doubts. I birthed my beautiful twins last week at my home in Hurricane, Utah, just down the hill from your homestead. Well, it's about 60 miles down the hill, but uh, just down the hill from your homestead. They came at 36 weeks and are doing really well. Thanks for the yeah. work you do. Great. I love it. Very good for her. She did all the right things for herself, you know, even though the law didn't support her midwife in being there, she continued to stay steady with what her heart was telling her. She reached out and, and researched to find another provider. I'm glad that that worked out for her. I know that that is not true for everyone, either financially or just finding them, but you know, she, she stayed true to what felt right for her and, and her babies. And I love that. It makes me so happy. Yeah. And the, and the wisdom that she expressed, which, you know, has, it, it comes innately. I mean, obviously she hears it from us and other people, but when she said, from my understanding, being pregnant with twins only increases the chance that you may develop a problem or adverse condition as compared to a singleton pregnancy. And as long as nothing has developed then the twin pregnancy is not in it by itself high risk. Yeah, and you could take twin out of that too. <laughs> you could just say pregnancy is not a high risk category unless you develop something. Um, so yeah, it's definitely wise. And you know, yeah. I think it's not that you and I have like all the wisdom. I think it's that we have a platform to help other people validate what they're feeling is true for them inside. And I talked about that when you and I were really kind of really um, gaining some momentum during the pandemic, you know, that having you as my, my, on my team and as my partner, 
and knowing how strongly you felt and how outspoken you were about these things gave me the confidence to be able to say, I can stand in my truth as well. It's not like you gave me the truth. It's, you know, it's just that we shared that. And so I think that that's what we do for our our fellow travelers is that we just, you know, are like, you're not crazy. What you're feeling inside of you is legitimate. And you don't need an outside source to to tell you what you know inside of you, which I think is beautiful. Yeah, I've said many times that either either evidence, medical evidence or studies are going to prove what common sense in your gut would tell you or the studies are bogus. And <laughs> that the, that rule of thumb really applies almost almost. We never say 100 percent, but almost 100 percent of the time. If a study sounds too weird or too contrary to what your normal life experience has been it's probably not a thing that that um uh is making a lot of sense i had to look something up real quick there but i had a uh instagram discussion with a with a um, follower or fellow traveler um, she sent me an article that said that women have better women surgeons have better outcomes than men surgeons, and it was really not the article. She sent me a like a TikTok video or just a video of somebody summarizing it, and of course the person summarizing it was very honest. She said this isn't true for all women surgeons and all men surgeons. There are some good men surgeons, and but in general, their outcomes were better. And she said, "How come you told me the opposite?" I said, well, when did I tell you that? Because I don't I don't remember. And she says, at a postpartum visit at my house. So it had to be a few years ago. And I and I don't remember what context we were talking about it in. But generally when I talk about that, I say that that a lot of times male physicians are more likely to put on a vacuum or do forceps and not go right to C-section than females. I don't remember ever saying anything about about female surgeons. But my point, my point being was that this was a study that came out, but no one's looked at it. And we've talked about how how do you, you cannot be quoting a study as fact if you don't break it down and look at it. How did they do the study? Did, did, who did they ask? You know, how many people were included in the study? Uh, what was their ideology? Who paid for the study? Um, all these things need to come into play before you 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 suddenly make a decision on something, but something that doesn't sound right. Now, maybe it's true, Maybe it's not true, but to just accept things without looking into them is that that era has ended. That has to end for everybody. And when we when we say things, right, when we quote stuff, we often will put as much as we can in the show notes. I mean, we're not we don't have a high tech uh, crew like Dell Bigtree does where he can, you know, they they play clips and they 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 bring on our authors of articles. We. You know, we don't do that. Maybe someday, Bliss. Maybe someday, we'll yeah. have something like that where we have a studio and a whole t- and a whole and a production team and a whole thing like that where we can do that. But, but the things that I say are all backed up by by studies that I feel make some sense, and also simply by my experience. And just because there isn't a study that says that it's safer to cross the street when the light is green then when it's red doesn't mean that it isn't safer to cross the street when the light is green. You don't need studies always to make judgments about things. Yeah. And, you know, I think I'll be quoting um, Nathan Riley until I'm not 
working anymore, which is, you know, where's the study to deviate from nature? You show me that study. I'm going to stick with nature as being the wise thing for the majority of the time. And if you want me to deviate from nature, like we did get, we did get a, um, a, a letter from a nurse talking about why they're deciding not to labor down anymore. Chorioamnitis. Um, what was the other one? Um, the baby having issues and more hemorrhage. <laughs> More hemorrhage, maybe more pelvic floor issues. I don't know. Maybe that's no, too. those were the three. Oh. Those were the three that she wrote down. And I and and my bullshitometer totally went off. It was like, no, nature is laboring down. Nature is waiting until the woman has that instinct for fetal ejection. Why? Not because it's more dangerous. I'm never gonna believe that. So if you want me to deviate from nature then you're going to have to show me a study that convinces me that that is a safer option. Right. But you're also going to have to show me a good study that actually does that. Exactly. Okay. And, and not a study that proves the point that you're trying to make. Yeah. Like the arrive trial or like the term breach trial, which were just bad studies, bad yeah. studies that came yeah. out that were immediately accepted because of confirmation bias. Right. That this is what the, the medical model wanted. And therefore they found a study because there's, there were so many studies that actually are better that show the opposite of what those, those two studies, yet those are the ones that were accepted. So it really isn't even about, well, I'm what I'm the point and what we're going to get into in the next, the rest of the podcast is a little bit about does modern medicine make birth safer? And, um, you know, I have a one, one word answer for that, but, and it has an exclamation point behind it too. <laughs> but, uh, We'll talk about that. that. Very short podcast. So we're going to talk a little bit more than just that. Well, yeah, I'm going to dive into a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's just start with that. Let's, let's just go there right. and, and we'll yeah. perseverate on it as we go along. So some, people, some of you guys send me some really good stuff and I'm sorry that I'm not remembering who sent me stuff. Sometimes I find something, I get a, a meme on Instagram and I, I hit print on my phone. It goes on my printer and it makes a chart that looks like this. And then I go over it the day before or the morning of the podcast. So I, I prepare for this, but this is from uh, an article called cesarean section, 100 years, 1920 to 2020, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> And it says, where have where has it taken us? And so we've talked about some of these numbers before, but let's just talk about it. In 1970, the C-section rate was 6%. Uh, abnormal placentation, which we often describe as placenta accreta or percreta or something like that, was 3 per 10,000. And maternal mortality was 7 per 100,000. All right, that was 1970. This is in the United States. Uh, it's from the Journal of Perinatal Medicine, September 4th. Um, in 1980, um, the C-section rate was 17%, up from 6%. Abnormal placentation went up from 3 per 10,000 to 4 per 10,000. And maternal mortality went up from 7 to 9 per 100,000. Uh, by 1990, the C-section rate was 25%. They have no data on abnormal placentation from that year, but the maternal mortality rate was 10 per 100,000, up from seven and then nine and then 10. In 2000, the induction rate 
was 19%. Oh, by the way, in 1990, the induction rate was 10%. The, the induction rate in 2000 was 19%. The C-section rate fell a little bit to 21%. I think that was because they were pushing VBACs and other things really hard in those days. In the early 2000s, I remember going to the NIH VBAC consensus conference and they were trying to do something to lower the C-section rate. So that might've worked a little bit, but the abnormal placentation rate went up to 19 per 10,000 from three per 10,000 30 years earlier. And maternal mortality has climbed to 13 per 100,000. In 2010, the induction rate was up to 24%. The C-section rate was now 31%. And the uh, maternal mortality rate was up to 17 per 100,000. Every year, every 10, every decade, it's climbing. Right. Why? Climbing, and they're still not looking at, wait a minute, (laughs) what we're doing is definitely not helping. It's making things worse. No, so we need to we need to do more. We need yeah. to meddle. We need to meddle yeah. more. Yeah, you know it's very similar to you know when when th- when our students are doing poorly in education and we spend a lot. We spend more than pretty much any other country in education. The solution from Washington is to do what? More. Spend more money. Well, and also you know less time and vacation, more homework after school. Um, you know more testing. Like none of it. Like none of it is really working and children are not getting to be children. There's anxiety and stress. And, you know, by the time they get to high school, the suicide rates go up considerably because of um, the academic pressure. Yeah. None of it's working. It's all broken. Yeah, it is. It it, it is all broken. And, Mm -hmm. and their solutions are, 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 are never stopped reevaluate, get rid of something and start over because everything they've done is really a, a great example of that, of Tom Sowell's thing on stage one thinking where we're going to institute these things without really finding out whether they work or not. And if they don't work, but it's good for our salaries and good for our job security, we're just going to keep building more and more. I've told a story many times. My mother was a school teacher. And when she started in her district, they had one principal. By the time she finished, they had no gym teacher, no music teacher, six assistant principals, and one principal for an enrollment that was down at 20 or 30% from when it was when she started. So they they had money to they had no money to pay a music teacher or a gym teacher, but they had six assistant principals when you know, 20 years earlier, with a much higher enrollment of students, they were managed with one principal. Yeah. This is classic. This is classic. So in 2020, which is the last stat- data they have, the C-section rate was 32%. The induction rate was listed here at 31%, which is sort of what we talked about, actually. It's uh, the number that we can... You think it's higher in probably in most private hospitals. It's much higher. Yeah. Just like the C-section rate in most private hospitals is higher than county hospitals. The abnormal placentation rate, if you remember, Bliss, was 3 per 10,000 in 1970. It is now 37 per 10,000. Crazy. And when that happens, most of the time, a woman is going to lose her uterus. Yeah. 
And then the maternal mortality rate went up from seven per 100,000 in 1970 to 24 per 100,000. So it's oh, it's more than tripled. And, and, and this is the model. This is the model we're supposed to emulate. This is the model we're supposed to want more of. This is That's the model that says we sh we're not going to let you labor down anymore. We're going to have yeah. you pushing on your back with an epidural, with starving, with constantly being interrupted, with no support. No, we're not allowing doulas in anymore because they cost too much trouble. <laughs> All these things that they do. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's just like that that culturally we've been, you know, I used to say when we would do our um, nervous anticipation at the sanctuary um, that we've been bamboozled. You know, we we have been manipulated to believe that that is the safer option. And then when you start to look at the statistics, you can see so clearly that that is not safer. Just just look at the maternal mortality rate alone. Just that one. This is not safer. Then you go to satisfaction and, you know, um, supporting families historically in knowing that birth is safe and what that does psychologically and spiritually. Like, I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about more women are dying because we're intervening more. It's just so that's so clear. And I'm, I'm glad that you read that, but it does make my blood boil. Like, you know, the fact that we're just so confused as a, as a culture about this, you know, going back to this, um, traditional postpartum retreat that I went to, one of the things that was a common theme in, in the conversation was one rec reclamation. So reclaiming this knowledge, reclaiming these traditions. But the other part was the belief of, uh, of reciprocity, you know, that when you give you are going to be receiving, not just taking, taking, taking. And if you look at also how, as a culture, we're taking care of our mother earth, you know, and we're just taking resources and not being responsible for that relationship. And in a lot of these traditional cultures, that's why I always go back to nature. It's about you take care of the soil, you take care of the water, you take care of the air, you take care of the trees, you take care of the animals, and then they take care of you. And we, we're just so detached from that. Elements a tasty electrolyte drink. They've been sponsoring us for a while with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt and, and with no sugar, as you like to say, none of the BS, just like us. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. It's perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low carb, paleo diet, but not for our pregnant patients who shouldn't be on any of those. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's good for pregnant women. It's good for postpartum women. It's good for uh, birth workers. It's good for people who are outside working out. Summer's coming on. It's going to be hot and sweaty. Yeah. And it's grapefruit season. I just got my box. Yeah. Well, not only is it grapefruit season, but but they also comes in a bunch of other flavors. Yeah. Watermelon, citrus, orange, raspberry, raw, your favorite. Mango chili. Lemon and chocolate raspberry. Lemon course. habanero. Lemon habanero. What is a habanero anyway? It's a 
it's a spicy chili. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You know, the other day I was at a very long birth and we went to get some electrolytes for the mom to see if we could help her with some of the things that she was dealing with. And we, every one of the birth workers that was there had some too. We're like, we all need it. Let's all have some element. Yeah. And, it, com- and it comes in a little packet so that you, you don't have any waste. Right. Like Great. throwing bottles away and stuff like that. You can just use it in your reusable container. We love that. That sort of thing. So we love that. So you go to drink element, that's drink L-M-N-T dot com backslash birthing instincts and you get a free sample pack with any order great thanks element thank you i really i i know that we're making a, a small impact but i really hope as a culture we can really start to like wake up to the fact that we're we're not getting better we're getting somebody worse. somebody is gaining from all this mischief yeah. uh, and, th- and this misdirection there's the, again whether it's the glo- global elites or the one world government or uh, some just some mad professors someplace or some megalomaniacs, I, I don't know, but someone's getting this. And again, we don't know that the data that we're getting fed is always true or not true. This data that I just gave you is hard to say it isn't true because it's from like government statistics. So it's not a study so much as it is just reporting statistics, whereas a lot of things are studies. I saw a meme this morning that Canada has something like 580 billion trees uh, in the boreal forest up there. And apparently to offset Canada's carbon emissions in a year, you would need only about 27 billion trees. So they said, so Canada has about 560 unemployed trees. (laughs) That's what they call it. Trees, and yet they're saying, you know, they're saying that uh, you, you know you have to pay for carbon offsets. We've got 570 unemployed billion unemployed trees. Why are why are they making companies pay for carbon offset? I don't even know what a carbon offset is. It means that I can spend money so that I can spew more carbon. How does that offset the effect on the planet? Doesn't these right. things don't make any sense at all? Right. None of this stuff makes sense, and and some of the. The things that are happening, we don't really know why, because it's not correlation and causation. Uh, be our ability to determine that specifically, but you can certainly look at trends and you can say something isn't right here. This is not the way it's supposed to go. The all-cause mortality is up after the vaccine came, uh, the COVID vaccine came out, as opposed to from the year of COVID, and that's continuing to stay high. Why is that? Nobody's really, I mean, people people know. It's just that if people say it, then they, yeah, they get canceled from the, uh, or they lose their job or whatever else. But here's an interesting thing that someone also sent me. It's world fertility data. And it's just world fertility data from a three to, sun, three to six month period in 2022 versus 2023. And in almost every country in the world, fertility has fallen. There are some countries where it's gone up and there are things like it's gone up in South Korea, excuse me, not South Korea, that's gone down. It's gone up in Thailand and Malaysia and Armenia and Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and uh, Bulgaria and Montenegro, but it's fallen significantly in many, many, many countries. And I'm just going to name a few. Can I ask Uh, a question? Yes. So what... When you say fertility, what are they basing that on? Birth that, rates. Okay. Because fertility 
is actually really different than how many babies are born. True. Right. Right. Okay. But the, but but that's how that's how you know this isn't about miscarriages. This is about the birth rate. This one graph. Okay. There might have been more graphs. This is the one that somebody sent me. Okay. So, birth. but in a, in a country like like Latvia, which is a small country, the the birth rate is down fifteen percent in mm -hmm. one year. In France, it's down almost seven percent in one year. The U.S. is only down one point three percent. But why is it down? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it economic? Is it for, is it because there's a fertility issue? Uh, are people so in such turmoil they don't want to bring kids into the world right now? Maybe lots of different factors, but yeah. that's not true for all these countries. I mean, we have we have um, I said France. We have Lat Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland are all down uh, between nine and fifty, and the Czech Republic between nine and fifteen percent. That's a huge drop in fertility in one year. That's like tenfold what you'd expect. You might expect a 1% drop in any given year or 1% increase in every year, but you would never expect a 9% drop in fertility in one year. Don't we? I mean, Albania, 14.7% drop in fertility. So is this concerning? Well, it should be concerning. I know that there are a lot of people who think there's too many people on the planet. The problem is, when I know you're nodding, <laughs> but the truth is, is, is that really true? And who's going to support the current systems if we don't have children growing up and taking jobs and supporting these, these, all these countries have social welfare nets. They're all going to collapse. And you're shaking. You can't see shrugging. So you have to talk. You can't, can't see shrugging on the podcast. Yeah, a different topic but i i don't i, I want to hear it i don't necessarily believe that we should continue to have more children just to to um continue to feed the cog of social systems that are really not working anyways i but don't think that having children shouldn't not having children be something that's voluntary yeah i think it, it is right. be something that that somebody's put in the water or put in the air or put in the sky or right, whatever right, right. to right. uh to, to affect your fertility rates because this is this is not a natural phenomenon mm-hmm Right. Okay. So that brings me to one of my uh, favorite topics, which is the American College of OBGYN. <laughs> and, you know, on, on the um, on the on the central topic of does modern medicine make birth safer? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my one word answer is, of course, not or no, I guess, of course, not it's three words, but but <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but I, I just want to bring some more evidence that ACOG and the organized medicine as we know it is done. What I what I'd like to say is 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 Sauron's tower is beginning to teeter. If people understand the uh, Lord of the Rings reference. <laughs> okay. Well, this came in my mail last week. It's now September, but this was it says August is National Immunization Awareness Month. Did you know that, please? I didn't. Thanks for telling. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we did that podcast where there was like something happening every every week or month is a pretty much <laughs> yes there's always something okay so this is the newsletter that i get because i'm still a member acog encourages you to promote the importance of tdap covid19 and influenza vaccines with your pregnant patients um we want to emphasize that as a physician you have the power to help protect your patients and i find irony in that statement because 
to me, protecting my patients is to tell them not to get the COVID flu and Tdap shots while they're pregnant. Right. Except in rare, except in rare cases where it might be indicated. Right. But they're saying that in order to protect your patients, you must encourage them to give this vaccine. And and they and bliss. Congratulations to ACOG's 2023 Immunization Champion Award winners. <laughs> so they list three, they list three doctors here. Immunization champions are considered leaders in maternal and adult immunization and have demonstrated exceptional progress in increasing immunization rates among adults and pregnant people in their communities through leadership, innovation, collaboration, and education activities aimed at following the ACOG and CDC guidance to increase immunization rates among pregnant people. I love ACOG giving itself credit there because ACOG and CDC guidance, ACOG, if the, if the CDC farts, ACOG jumps, okay? So ACOG's guidance is no different than the CDC's guidance. I just want to make sure that people understand ACOG's giving themselves too much credit there. Um, but they're, they're celebrating these doctors. So here's one, Veronica Alvarez Galeana is a generalist obstetrician and assistant professor at the University of Miami Jackson Health System in Miami, Florida. She was instrumental in increasing Tdap and flu vaccines in pregnant patients. She promoted the safety of the COVID-19 vaccine for pregnant patients across multiple social media platforms. Okay. So anybody who knows this doctor can ask her where she got her data from, that it was safe and that it was effective and needed to be promoted because I'm sure she'll say she got it from the CDC. And that would tell you something about a person who thinks that the only source of information is the CDC, which has lied to you probably for decades, but certainly in the last three years. Did that come out strong enough? Perfect. Okay. Sarah <laughs> Pactman Shetty, everybody's got three names, MD. She's a maternal fetal medicine at North Shore University Hospital and Long Island Jewish Medical Center in New York is a vocal advocate for immunizations and uses her Instagram account to share vaccine information for people who are trying to conceive pregnant or lactating. So she wants people who are trying to conceive, be pregnant, lactating, to be sure they get vaccinated, right? Um, she collaborated with the New York State Department of Health COVID-19 and Pregnancy Media Campaign and spread awareness about the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 bivalent booster to people trying to conceive and pregnant and postpartum New Yorkers. So she's spreading uh, information about the awareness about the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccine as more and more evidence is coming out showing that it doesn't work and that there's negative efficacy and that 60 to 70% of people being hospitalized now with COVID are people that have multiple vaccinations. Uh, it's pretty dangerous. And instead of giving her an award, she ought to be losing her license, but that's not the case. They're, they're going after um, people who tell the truth and trying to take away their licenses. Um, there was a doctor I listened to on the, on Del Bigtree's latest podcast from Maine who speaks really eloquently and people should listen to, uh, um, I think it's called Heroes and Zeros is the name of the last podcast on uh, Del Bigtree's uh, high wire. Uh, and lastly, Mark B. Woodland, MS and MD, also a fellow of ACOG, faculty member of Drexel University College of Medicine, and where he served as the obstetrics and gynecology residency program director. Oh my God. 
Uh, I wonder if he taught breach delivery. <laughs> you think? Probably not. Probably not. Okay. Uh, so this is in Pennsylvania. He was an early supporter of the COVID-19 vaccine after the sudden death of his sister's tragic. That's tragic. Early in the pandemic and champion the vaccine throughout the state of Pennsylvania and the country. During the height of the pandemic, he also provided daily updates on the pandemic, which included vaccine stats and the community's immunization status. So I would like to ask Dr. Woodland uh, what the source of his information was, because it's very clear that that the CDC was padding its numbers and that somebody who died in a motorcycle accident with COVID was listed as a COVID death. So where did he get his accuracy and did he actually care to check his accuracies? But these people are being celebrated by the tottering tower of Sauron, which is ACOG. Sauron, excuse me. <laughs> right? And then one last thing, um, under the heading pregnant individuals, on August 21st, 2023, the FDA approved the first respiratory syncytial virus vaccine for use in pregnant individuals between 32 and 36 weeks to protect newborns and infants against severe uh, respiratory syncytial virus disease in the first six months after birth. ACOG is supportive of this RSV vaccine being approved and available to pregnant individuals. ACOG looks forward to the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunizations Practice, or ACIP, panel, recommendations related to the implementation of this vaccine. Implementation considerations to be addressed include co-administration with other maternal immunizations. So if I can translate that, essentially what they're saying is they're looking forward to ACIP, the panel from the CDC, approving this vaccine and approving it to be given at the same time as the flu and the COVID and the um, Tdap shot. So now you're going to get four shots in the third trimester of your pregnancy and they're waiting excitedly for this to be approved my say my guess is that it's a done deal that this will be approved and that your ob who follows the cdc guidelines is going to be offering you four vaccines at the same time none of which have ever been and none of it individually have ever been tested against a placebo certainly never been tested giving four at the same time they're going to be offering that to you and acog is supportive of that I rest my case. Oops. Nothing to add. I know. <laughs> no, it, it's it's insane. But I hear you, and I hear that you are enraged at what is happening to your colleagues and the direction that your profession has gone. And that's why we love that you're a champion for alternatives and thank you for for giving this information and i think that this information is important to get out there and again i'm not asking people who love their family members to try to get into an argument with their family members about this if their family members want to take these vaccines if they want their newborn baby to get a hepatitis vaccine all you can do is ask them to please read the information and then let them make their own decision right um but I would tell anybody listening that if your physician is suggesting that you get these vaccines and you get them all within the third trimester, um, that this physician is somebody you should run away from as fast as possible. And maybe even write a letter to the medical board complaining about it. Now, the medical board will think they're doing the right thing, but that's okay. If they start getting letters from people complaining about 
doctors giving them untested vaccines in pregnancy, which violates in every uh, in every extent the precautionary principle, which was always held in play. We've talked about this on the podcast before. It's just a principle you don't experiment on humans, especially pregnant humans. Um, you just don't do that. And again, none of these things have ever been tested. And just for people who might want a little bit more information on RSV, I did do a deep dive on a reel that I put up on my Instagram page. You can find it it's from a couple of weeks ago and you'll scroll back and you'll find it. And it's, it's got a lot of hits. So I'm really happy that it's getting pushed, pushed around and spread around. Okay. So, um, okay. So now we're getting uh, close to the end here, but here's a letter from Alexis. Uh, and she says, um, I'm wondering if I could ask a quick question. My sister is in SoCal, that's Southern California, for our Aussie listeners and our European listeners, um, and pregnant with her second. She's 20 weeks and had a co and had COVID a few weeks ago. So now her midwife is recommending she take baby aspirin for the duration of her pregnancy. Is that a sound recommendation? <laughs> then she adds. She's also been poked three times as she's a social worker at a hospital and was heavily pressured. She has no other risk factors. So what do you think about that? What do you think about giving um, baby aspirin because of the increased risk of clotting from COVID? I mean, we did a lot of, we talked about this on one of the episodes. I wish I remembered which one it was, but cause it wasn't, that wasn't the main topic, but we did kind of break it down. Um, I would say personally, my instinct is as long as it's before the um, the due window that it might be an insurance policy um, because there's a lot of weird stuff happening with um, placentas and loss and other things that mid, mid, midwives are noticing just kind of, you know, by watching, not necessarily we haven't don't have data compiled around it, but just from being observant, which is one of our skill sets and how we know what's normal and what's not. Um, so that's kind of my instinct about yeah, it. I would, I would, I would not disagree with you. Here's what I wrote back to her because I thought it was a bit of irony that was missed in this whole, mm. uh, by, by that people. she was poked so many times and got COVID. Right. That right. part, but even, even more so I said, it's not an, I said, giving the aspirin is not an unreasonable in theory but it's not data-driven. I hope someone sees the irony in having to take a prophylactic medicine to prevent a possible side effect from another mandated prophylactic medicine yeah. to prevent a possible mild illness in an age group that was never at risk. Yeah. So they're talking about, her midwife is talking about giving her aspirin because she got COVID. Yeah. It wasn't talking about giving her aspirin because she got poked three times. Mm-hmm. We know that the pokes lead to clots. Mm -hmm. COVID does probably too. But why Why are you only recommending aspirin after she's had COVID while she's been, I guess because she's got pregnant and she's got COVID? I don't know. I mean, you could come up, but the logic just doesn't play very well. My point. Yeah. Okay. You know, and going back to, there's a lot we don't know, right? Um, we're getting years now away from the official pandemic. So okay. we're starting. <laughs> we're starting to be able to see more come out in the numbers, but there's still so much that we don't know. And there's a lot that's not being researched, not being studied, information that's being suppressed. 
So it's, it's difficult for us to really be able to, to give really um, concrete information. But I, I do implore people to kind of continue to keep their eyes open and to be really um, discerning in how they're looking at all of this, because um, it, common sense tells us there's something to be concerned about. Yeah, common sense would tell us if they were being honest about it, there was no reason to suppress information. That's just, that's just, yeah. you don't have to suppress information if you're confident about your 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 point of view or your or your product. Right. Um, and, and just as we're speaking right now, there's lots of talk about possibly going into lockdown again and masking again. And, you know, some people think it's because, oh, there's an election coming up or because the you know, I, I, I like a lot of people out there um, who are much bigger influencers than I do would tell you if this comes along, don't comply with this sort of thing. And by the way, yeah. if your local market, if your local market puts in a, a mask mandate, find 10 of your friends and all go shopping at the same time and all walk in without masks at the same time. They can pick on one person. But if you if, if we gather together and show up in, in mass and not wear masks, were they going to kick 10, 15, 20 people out? How are they going to do that? They're not going to be able to do that. So again, don't let yourself get isolated. They're trying to isolate you. That's, that's, and maybe, and maybe part of the reason they're what they want to, again, uh, come after us with, uh, uh, to look over there and don't pay any attention is because this data is beginning to come out on what they did to us the last two two and a half years and they and so in order in order to hide that data they're going to bury it off into some other data and start giving more vaccines and and more things and they're not going to it's going to get all muddied they're not going to be able to tell what what terrible things that that they did to us knowingly and willingly and as more information comes out that they knew that this that wasn't effective they knew it didn't stop transmission they knew it wasn't safe in pregnant women um, they ended the study in pregnant women early. They had no study in pregnant women when they authorized it for pregnant women. Then they started a study with a small number of women. And halfway through the study, they started, they said, we need to, it's not fair. We have to vaccinate the control group. So they, so the study was immediately over. It was over because they can't follow anybody because now everybody in the study has been vaccinated. We're going to talk a little bit about our sponsor needed. We love them. They have an amazing company. And you know what, you guys, your prenatal nutrition isn't cutting it. So they redesigned the prenatal vitamin for you to be optimally nourished. They came out with a new product. I mean, I just feel like every time I turn around, they've got a new amazing product. And this one is an immune support. It's easy to take delicious elderberry powder to support optimal immune health for the whole family. You know, I was hiking the other day and I saw an elderberry bush. You recognized it? Of course not. <laughs> no. Really impressed. No, but the midwife I was with recognized it right away. 70% um, of the immune system resides in the gut. So comprehensive support is needed. Most immune support products aren't designed for all ages and stages. Their immune support is safe and effective for the whole family kids, pregnant, and nursing moms included. So that is perfect for our followers. Yeah, so go to their website at uh, thisisneeded.com and look through their products. I mean, not only do they have a prenatal vitamin, uh, which we recommend, but they have sleep and relaxation support, stress support, hydration support, collagen, a pre and probiotic, which I think is a good thing um, yeah. for a lot of us to be taking, yeah. especially if you 
have immune issues or if you uh, had recently taken antibiotics or something like that. They have a whole thing for men, so you can men can look at that at their website as well. So again, we love their we love their sponsor. And what makes them different is optimal nutrient forms, dosages that help you thrive, easy to take at all stages of pregnancy. They were formulated with practitioners and they're recommended by over 3,000 women health experts just like us. And I was going to say that. <laughs> I stole your... You stole it. No. Okay. So go to thisisneeded.com. Just spell it out and use the code birthing instincts to get 20% off your first order. This is needed.com. I think you get 20% off every order, but just, mm-hmm. just uh, use the code word birthing instincts at this is needed.com. Thanks, needed. Thank you. Okay, two more. Um, this is from Maddie, and it's about manda- it's about mandating a flu vaccine. So she says, I'm reaching out because I'm curious if you guys have any advice or knowledge regarding getting the flu vaccine while pregnant. As a healthcare worker, my employer mandates the flu vaccine. Again, mandates should go away. It's 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 a violation of our constitution in our country. I can't speak for other countries, but in our country, man, bodily autonomy is is sacred, and to mandate something to keep your job is not a choice. It's coercion, and coercion. And, yeah. Go ahead and coercion. And coercion is never acceptable. Yeah. What were you going to say? And vaccine is not that effective. It's just like in any given season. And I don't know, it's like 16% effective or something. So it's like, why really? It has to be about money. I mean, really, because it it's not, it's just not that effective. There's no reason to mandate that vaccine. There's no reason to mandate it in anybody, but certainly not in a young, healthy population who isn't at risk from dying from the flu. Well, I think that they don't want people to bring the flu to work because they're health workers or to, to, to not have as many nurses during the flu season and all of that. I get it. In a perfect world, if you could inject somebody and they didn't get the flu, okay, cool. Yeah, but that's not the reality. So, it, yeah. No, a lot of people get the flu shot and then they get really sick. <laughs> and then they have to call in sick to work because they don't feel good. Right. right. However, I'm currently a pregnant. Uh, so she's also a health worker, but I'm currently pregnant mm-hmm. and would prefer not to get the flu vaccine. Since the CDC recommends that pregnant women should get the flu vaccine, I am unsure how to get around this. Yeah. I'm curious if you have come across other women in this scenario. Yes, we have. Of course we have. Yeah. And if you have any studies that support not getting vaccinated while pregnant, I'm not sure there are any studies um that tell you not to get vaccinated but just common sense would dictate that certainly the flu vaccine is one of the few vaccines that if you have the multi-dose multi-dose vial um it carries it has mercury in it has thimerosal in it which is something clearly you do not want to get while you're pregnant so i i I wrote her back and i want to make a point for my first sentence here um your email really bothered me and luckily i looked in my spam box I want to keep reminding people that when you write to me through my website or through um, some other uh, through Squarespace or whatever, when I respond to you from my my angelfish email, uh, a lot of times it's going to go to your spam box. So if you write to me, I will be writing you back within the day or two or three. So keep an eye on your spam box because a lot of my messages have gotten missed and a lot of your emails back to me go into my spam box. I wrote, damn the CBC, excuse me, damn the CDC and all those in charge there. 
No vaccine has ever been tested properly for safety and certainly not tested in pregnant women. The flu vaccine still has thimerosal in, in it, which is mercury. Its efficacy is pretty poor. And that's just what you said, Bliss, and really isn't helpful in young, healthy people. But that doesn't seem to matter since it's profitable for big pharma and physicians who push it. You said that too. Mm -hmm. Tdap is another mostly useless, potentially harmful jab. As for, and we've broken down the numbers. And mm -hmm. in the RSV uh, reel that I did, I talked about the the relative rarity of death from RSVV, RSV in the first five years of life, specifically in the first six months of life, um, that to give it to everybody doesn't make sense. Since, especially since it's not, it's not tested for safety. Um, as for your situation, your employer is a pawn who likely must follow the CDC guidelines per their risk management department with no respect for bodily autonomy or knowledge of efficacy of harm. There are no good studies on safety and very few on harm because no one is funding them. Right. I don't know what you can do as there is no, right. You said, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know what you can do as there is information, even in the package insert that cautionary, but no one seeks to care. Lastly, before you agree or are coerced to find out which flu, find out which flu vaccine is being offered and look closely at the package insert online. I just read the flu ad quadrivalent insert. It is not approved for pregnancy or lactation and I cannot find where the ingredients are even listed. It's all very sinister. Also, you know, so I, again, this is my OCD side of me. She writes me this letter and I go online, start researching package inserts. Um, it's all very sinister. Also, from what I can tell, multi-dose vials are more likely to contain mercury than single-dose vials. Um, then I said to her, one last question, how do you prove you've been vaccinated? How would they know? Mm-hmm. And she told me that they do it at work. <laughs> mm -hmm. So she couldn't just go into a doctor's office and get supposedly vaccinated and get a note from a doctor saying, I just vaccinated you. Apparently that's right. not. That's, that's right. right. This is what's called the shrug effect. All this data is out there saying that this isn't wise to do it this way. There's there's no testing. And, the, and this, people just go, eh, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being in the industry for 30 plus years now, there's so much information and the statistics that you just read show that that things are getting worse. You know, the information is out there. They're not listening, you know. So what are you going to do? But keep doing our best. I got one last depressing letter on the future Boy. of uh, future of medicine. Uh, does modern medicine make birth safer? Does modern medicine make anything safer in the healthcare world? And here's one from Cassidy. Um, I am not sure if you know anything about what's going on with applying to medical schools, higher education nowadays or not, but I cannot believe it. After working so hard to be able to apply, my girlfriend was all excited until she went to fill out the application. Every single school she was applying to, all the questions were about white privilege, BLM, social justice, and trans rights. She applied to 10 schools, and almost every single essay question was some left-wing political question like, describe how you have been a warrior for social justice and participated in the BLM movement. She was confused, thinking, this is for medical school, right? She's passionate about science, medicine, and learning. After seeing those questions, she told me she doesn't want to be part of that type of system where, where we all have to think one way and it's their way. But she didn't even want to be political. She just wants to be a doctor. I was just thinking how sad that is. 
Who knows how many other intelligent people have opted against higher education because of these political environments? And I wrote back to her. I said, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. My alma mater, the University of Minnesota, changed their medical school initiation oath to an allegiance to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I hear, but I, but hearing it from you, it's more infuriating. I've often talked about the collapse of the current model as unsustainable and self-inflicted. This is just another nail in their coffin. Um, and then she says, what's ironic about DEI is that they say inclusion, but it's only including who agrees with their political beliefs. And I think that that's true. I think the chance of somebody who's white, who doesn't have those beliefs, getting into medical school now is almost impossible. And these are the people that are going to be taking care of you and I, Bliss, when we're older. They're going to have, and again, why should why should politics enter into it whatsoever in going into medical school? You're not going to right a wrong by further discrimination or by eliminating points of view. And I know that you and I may disagree on on underlying theory of this but this is not this scares me more than just about anything else i've read today is that they're only taking one kind of person to go into medical school thoughts it this is a really this is a really complex issue i'm not exactly loving ending on this note um but uh Given that brown and black women are dying, uh, you know, in New York, it's like nine times higher than white women. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is important to make sure that we're talking about um, these issues because part of what's happening is that there is discrimination and racism that is deeply embedded into the medical system. And that's why we have these statistics. So, Again, we were talking about the other statistics. It's also important to acknowledge that we're not making progress and something does have to change. Um, it's complex. And I, and I hear your perspective. And I also um, do think that it's important for us to break down some of the models that have been standing for a long time that are also not serving diversity. So here's my question. We've, 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 we've put out in this podcast and many of our podcasts how people in authority are, are, are gaslighting us, they're doing a terrible job, and then they double down on doing a terrible job and the results that they want aren't there and they, and they just make it worse. What's to make me think that the people that are running medical schools are doing this to make medical schools better? Yeah, or whether it's just, I, or whether it's just, idea. You know, this is this is not going to make medical schools better. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to pick the best candidates for for people who have this desire to be a physician, mm -hmm. and physicians should take care of all people. And when you're picking a single or certain criteria as the only criteria, and when I say the only criteria, there's lots of other criteria in the application. But if you don't answer these questions the way they want you to, you have zero chance of getting in. Mm -hmm. So the question is, do you lie? It's not that you're racist if you lie. You just don't think that this is something that should be relevant to getting into medical school or getting into flight school to become a pilot mm -hmm. or, or, or any, you know, anything. This is not there. It's the same people that have created the systems that have, completely turned our country upside down that we're now trusting to help us get, oh, you're making a grimacing teeth marks again. 
You don't think our country is upside down right now? Yeah, but I don't think it's from one party. I think it's I think it's we're very sick as a culture. I didn't say party. I didn't yeah. I didn't even say party. I yeah. said the same people. Yeah. Right. I, oh, I agree with I agree with you. I agree with I, you across the it, across the board. Anybody that's an elite it should be uh should lose their job immediately. <laughs> <laughs> we should be ruling the world. Um yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think that there's an easy answer uh, in these things, but I can hear that there's frustration and um, difficulty in trying to to navigate how we move on in a better way. And there's differences in opinions on how to do that. And I don't think that I don't think we know yet. I do. <laughs> <laughs> what was that I thing you, you say about? certainty yeah well in this this case you're right you they they can be skeptical about my certainty but i am certain that this is not the right way and i and just because everything that almost everything because we don't ever say always or never but pretty much everything that those in positions of power have done in the you know in the in the recent years if not decades has not turned out to 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 do well or make improvements. Sure, I agree with that. Look what happened from 1970 to 2020. Just those simple. Look what's happening in education. You know, people can't read the, their grade level in math. They or or I mean, they can't read. They can't read their grade level in reading, and they and they can't do their grade level in or math. math. <laughs> right, they can't. So what we're going to do? We're going to we're going to give more money to the teachers' unions. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's 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 everywhere. But for you and me in our podcast, mostly talking about medical care and mostly talking about women's health care, and we're we're not doing good. And this is not this these things that we've been talking about are not going to make it better. They're not going to make it better. They're only going to make it worse. Which ultimately, from all my reading and uh, history and stuff like that, is what's got to happen. Before it's something new comes along. Yeah. Old system has to falter and it is faltering. And I get back to my uh, Lord of the Rings analogy. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the, the golden ring is melting and the tower is going to collapse under its own weight. And people are seeing that and they're going outside the system and they're looking at naturopaths and chiropractors and maybe DOs. I don't know about this, whether this applies to DO school. It'd be really interesting to find out. If they have the same sorts of things going well, on there, cool. Again, it does for midwifery school. It's it's gotten worse, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. Um. So support your local traditional midwives. <laughs> support our sponsors. Uh, oh, yeah. we have to we have to make an announcement that we knew have to, we have to make a new birth fit commercial because you we kept saying congratulations to Lindsay on her pregnancy. And, and she uh, had her baby. She had her baby and she went a little bit early. Yeah. So that was cool. And she still had her home birth because we were able to work around that. And uh, that's great. So, Lindsay, we will be changing our commercial at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on your delivery, Lindsay. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Check your spam box. Okay. <laughs> All right. So and, until next time. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 